Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast God's Holy Word, and I wanted to go over Psalm 27. This one is really good. Something jumped out at me with this one. I'm looking at it from a totally different point of view, and I thought I would share it with you because I think it's very easy if you are taught wrong to misunderstand what this is talking about. So I'm reading from the King James version. And again, this is Psalm 27. So let's go ahead and start on this puppy. It says, "The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid?" Now, when I was Catholic, we would we always had like three or four readings at every mass, right? So there are times when they sing the psalm, which is usually in between the first reading and the second reading. The first reading is usually in the Old Testament. The second reading is usually in the New Testament, so in between you have a psalm, and then after the second reading, which is the Old Testament, or sorry, the New Testament, you will have the gospel. So the psalm is usually sung directly from a psalm, like literally from the Bible, and it's set to um, notes and music. And I like it when it's word for word. I don't like it whenever they sing a translation that's like been interpreted by somebody else to make it more modern. Sometimes when you make things more modern, you lose the integrity of the holy word of God because it's been so watered down from like Aramaic to Greek to Hebrew to Latin down to English, whatever the case may be, any and all languages in between. But this when I read this just now, I thought I should make a podcast about this because I totally did not understand this. When it says the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear? Well, I was still in fear mode. I still feared God. I thought he hated me, didn't love me, and I was very skeptical on whether or not to trust him because I was raised in a wrath of God um denomination when I was growing up. And so then I converted to Catholicism. So I have left the Catholic Church, but it just felt like I had traded one cult for another. which if you if you've been in my situation you you'll probably chuckle and go yeah basically you did <laughs> if you're catholic listening to this you might get offended but um just know that you are in a cult and you need to leave it or do something else with your life on that but anyway um this psalm has been taken out of context for so many years especially within the catholic church and so when it says the lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear The Lord is the strength of my life of whom shall I be afraid? Well, the Catholic Church was still using fear, shaming, blaming and condemnation to get people um to do its bidding, to do its will, the of the Catholic Church, not of God or of Christ. So, because the Catholic Church really loves to focus on rules, laws and regulations like to the extreme, almost like Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, it's very easy to misinterpret and misunderstand this particular psalm and that first verse really jumped out at me because it is always misinterpreted and sung com- completely wrong and translated incorrectly within the psalm because one thing I don't like is that whenever I would be in mass and we would sing this psalm when you read it from God's holy word it's actually uplifting but whenever we would sing it from the hymnal or from the order of the mass it was always written negatively like you should be fearful you worm you you groveling piece of dirt that's how the the interpretation was and how someone translated it and they manipulated the wording and the phrasing and then 
when I started rereading God's holy word, just kind of out of despair because I was getting really depressed. I was in a really dark place in terms of being Catholic. Um it was not a good religion for me to practice whatsoever because it was not happy. I did not feel blessed. I wasn't blessed at all. If anything, I was very much cursed because when you have someone speaking horrible things over you, like when you have bad priests, there are a few good priests. I've met some over the years, but they are few and far between. But whenever someone picks a doctrine that is a interpretation of an interpretation of an interpretation and they manipulate it to be what they want it to say sometimes you don't realize they're lying whether they intentionally do it or not they're still lying and we need to to stick with God's holy word because God's holy word is the only thing that we should be preaching or teaching from the pulpit that's it It's not someone's interpretation, it's not someone's book, it's not someone's novel, it's not their opinion. I don't want to hear it. It's one thing if someone's telling a story about their life or something like that, but whenever they are cherry-picking things out of the Bible and then not even reading them correctly, I have a big problem with that because that's technically heresy and that's technically blasphemy against God's holy word. So I want to make sure that you guys know, my wonderful listeners, what is the truth behind this psalm? Okay. So with Psalm 27, let's just go line by line like we usually do. And I hope that this helps you because it greatly helped me to know the truth. Okay? So this is really good. So it says, "The Lord is my light and my salvation; whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life; of whom shall I be afraid?" So what that verse is saying is that if God be for you, who dare be against you? What are you worried about? Literally, what are you worried about? If God is for you, he's fighting for you. The Lord is your light. You have no reason to fear the darkness. Why? Because the Lord is your light. And the Lord is your strength. So, why be fearful when you have the strength of the Lord? Like even though we may be going through hardships and we may not feel very good or maybe we are recovering from an illness or some kind of financial catastrophe, whatever the case may be, I don't know what. We technically should not have any kind of fear, worry or doubt because excuse me the Lord is our strength and our life because he gives us life because it is only in Christ Jesus that we really can be successful. Okay? So then verse 2 when the wicked even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat my flesh they stumbled and fell. Right here we know that our enemies don't stand a chance against the Lord. So whenever someone tries to pull something on us or they try and hurt us or maybe they actually do hurt us. But here's the thing. That is nothing compared to what the Lord will do for us. Because whatever the enemy does to us, the Lord will reward us 7 to 100 fold. Because the devil steals, kills and destroys, right? So, being that we know what the devil does because he's a loser and a liar and a jerk, He was thrown out of heaven and into hell for a reason. We know that the Lord will always defend us. So I know that for the longest time, because I was taught wrong, mind you, I was taught in both denominations that I was in that if something bad happens to you, then either God is trying to teach you a lesson and it's coming from God, or the devil is punishing you and coming after you because God doesn't love you anymore. God's allowing it to happen. Well, both of those are a lie straight out of the depths of hell. Okay. 
God did not promise a perfect life for any of us because we technically live in a fallen world because none of us live in the garden of Eden, right? Like we we basically fell from that state, but God redeemed us through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So even though we are redeemed and when we believe in our Lord Jesus Christ and we give our life to Christ and we have the Holy Spirit or we invite the Holy Spirit to come and live in our hearts, our souls, when we become the tabernacle of Christ, that doesn't mean we're flawless and we're never going to have a problem. No, 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 no. If anything it means the devil's going to come at you harder because he hates God and because he hates God, he hates us. He hates God's creation. So just know that just because you have an enemy that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. God still very much loves you and if anything if you have an enemy coming at you just know that they will stumble and fall. Even if you don't see it happen it will happen. So verse 3 says though an host should encamp against me my heart shall not fear though war should rise against me in this will I be confident. So here we see This is talking about military terms, right? Because the enemy is very militaristic, I would say. Cuz he also has fallen angels that followed him into hell because they they sided with an idiot. Unfortunate for them, but that's their stupidity and not ours. So this definitely is um spiritual warfare and sometimes it becomes physical warfare when the devil and his goons come after us, right? So we have to recognize that whenever we are stressed, when we are unhappy, we are under attack. Spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, financial, we are under attack and we need to know that the enemy is trying to encamp against us. But the way that we win the war is to keep our shields up, so to speak, almost like Star Trek Voyager, keep your shields up and your shield is the holy word of God. And so In those moments your heart should not fear. It's very tempting to fear, but push through the fear. That doesn't mean you won't ever feel it. Just don't live in it. You know what I mean? Like like don't pitch a tent in the fearful valley. Walk straight through that valley and just thump the devil on the head and just say I rebuke you Satan, get out of my way. Jesus loves me and I'm not staying here. So, see ya. Wouldn't want to be a kind of thing. Then it says the war should rise against me and this will I be confident. So even if a type of war breaks out against you whether it's a physical war like you know what we're seeing over the Middle East things like that or maybe it's a spiritual war like for example when I left the Catholic Church believe me I left some very hateful horrible cruel people that is a different kind of warfare but it definitely is real it was definitely a war so just know there are different types of war and know your know your battles and just know that the battle is the lord so just know that if someone is trying to encamp against you they got nothing they got nothing no one can beat god he is still on the throne he is a good god he is the same yesterday today and forever so just know that he will never leave you never forsake you so just hold fast to his promises for your life that it will be long and prosperous and good and holy right so that's always a blessing Verse 4 says one thing have I desired of the Lord so we are supposed to desire things of the Lord he should he should be our true desire it says one thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after so we're supposed to seek after the Lord right that's really good so basically we're not supposed to be seeking after self righteousness 
We're not supposed to be seeking after worldly things. That doesn't mean that we can't have worldly things like cars, money, possession, a house, you know, brand new nails or go to the spa. It's not talking like that. It means that you don't put the worldly things in front of God. So when you desire God and you put God first, all these other things will come to you naturally because God will reward you for putting him first and he knows the desires of your heart. He knows if there are do's and don'ts that you like, there there are likes and dislikes that you have. Like for example, you know, I I don't go sailboating very often. It's probably not my number one hobby, but the Lord knows that I love to go hiking. So if anything, he will reward me and help me go hiking in places that I really love and that are really beautiful. Does that mean I don't ever want to go sailing and that I would turn it down? No, that's not what that means. It just means that the Lord knows what I as an individual personally like. So that's really nice because it's almost like it's almost like God is a Santa Claus, but he's not a genie where you rub a lamp. You know what I mean? God wants to pamper you, but he's not just a slot machine. So just know that when you ask God for something, it is a serious request, but just know that hey, if it's something as simple as a karaoke machine, if that's really what you want, ask God for it. He will get it for you. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing too small or too great that the Lord will not get for you because he wants to pamper and love his children. So that's always a blessing right there. So it says one thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So it says here that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That means that we are supposed to worship our God, our Father, our heavenly Father all the days of our life and we should honor him all the days of our life. And one of the ways that we do that is we get in God's holy word every day. That doesn't mean you have to sit and read the whole Bible all in one day. I think that would be very difficult and strenuous. You know, you don't want to be a scribe or a Pharisee and not really mean what you're doing. But here's the thing. That means that you worship God. And we know to worship God on the Sabbath, right? So we do that once a week. I particularly love to take daily communion. So I have a setting on my phone that one of the first things I do most days if I don't forget is I have daily communion right here in my home. I do that even though I don't go to a Catholic church anymore. We can still have communion anytime we want. That's one thing I didn't like about the Catholic church is that it was looked down upon especially during COVID for you to partake of communion in your own house. Yet we had no access to the Eucharist, which the word Eucharist is not Catholic. It actually goes far beyond that and before the Catholic church. Eucharist is communion. So communion had been taking place long before the Catholic Church was ever founded or started. So just know that there are some words. Just this is just a side note that sometimes the Catholic Church steals words. It acts like a thief sometimes. So it steals words and makes it seem like it invented it or it started it when it did not. In terms of Christianity, everything comes from Jesus Christ, our, our Lord. and also our heavenly father and the holy spirit. So for one denomination to claim, "Oh, we did it. We did it all. We came up with it." Oh, technically you're all Catholic because if you use that word, you're Catholic. No, sorry, you're wrong. Uh please stop trying to act like a cult yet again and trying to brainwash people because that's not what God wants. God doesn't want us brainwashed. He wants us to think for ourselves. He wants us to know that he is God and he is God alone. 
and that we should worship him and honor him and it's very difficult to worship and honor God if we're just believing everything a cult says instead of believing what God says so it says that that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life that means we are supposed to be worshiping God every week on the sabbath i think that's the least that we can do as people as people of God and even when we can't go to church we can still practice our faith at home because the early christians they didn't have churches they had to practice their faith in their homes and sometimes if they were within the roman empire they risked their lives literally and some of them were brutally murdered and martyred for practicing the christian faith in the early days of the church and so here's the thing if they could not practice their faith in their homes which is usually where they met they would have to practice their faith in the catacombs which you can go see those in roma italy it's very beautiful and it is very um it's a very serious place to go because you are literally with the dead in the catacombs um below below the city so to speak but the early christians they worship god there because they risked being murdered so that's if they were already found out from worshiping god and holding um christian services in the catacombs so just so you know you don't have to be in church to worship god especially if you don't have access to a church and if you don't have access to a good church but I do want to let you know that if you are in a town or a city that does have a good church you need to go to it and you need to support it you need to tithe there where god is calling you to tithe now don't go to a church just to go to church and just you know have it where you're 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 checking that off on your list of being a good christian you know what i mean like it needs to be intentional because that's what god wants because he was intentional when he made each and every one of us so we need to do our part and be intentional about worshiping our heavenly father. So then it goes on to say that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. The Lord is absolutely beautiful. The devil is absolutely hideous and ugly, okay? When he was thrown out of heaven, he lost his heavenly appearance, his angelic appearance because of what he did. He he's a thief. So just know that there is beauty in the Lord. So basically whenever we whenever we fail or whenever we do not measure up to what it means to be a christian god changes those ashes into beauty because god loves us so there is beauty in the lord being that there is beauty in the lord we know that anything that comes short of the goodness of god is not from god that's one way that i have learned over the years what to believe in and what not to believe in what to trust and what not to trust if it's not coming from god i don't want it needless to say i've had to turn away from a lot of relationships i've had to turn away from a lot of business contracts i've had to turn away um from you know different guys i was dating because i was like okay this is not the person i need to be dating this is not good husband material i need to move on there's nothing wrong with moving on because see here's the thing when you move on you are technically moving forward so don't ever go back to the past just leave it there let god deal with it so it says to behold the beauty of the lord meaning there is nothing ugly nothing ugly in the lord or in god or the holy spirit and to inquire in his temple so when we are worshiping god and we are going to his temple whether it's at a church or in our house our homes we are inquiring in his temple meaning we want to know who god is We want to find him, we want to seek him, right? 
And we want to know what is his holy will for us because God only wants good things for us, nothing bad, absolutely nothing bad. So then verse 5 says, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Okay, so here it says, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. There have been situations in my life where I thought for sure an enemy or a bad person would find me. I really did. Or they would hurt me or harm me, but God hid me from them. That's what that is talking about. God can hide you. So if you are fearful or if you're worried or scared for your life, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, or mental or financial, whatever the case may be, God can hide you. because that's his job. That that's what he loves to do. He loves to guard you and protect you. And later on, I think we've already discussed Psalm 91, but if you have not read Psalm 91, you need to reread that one because it is really good because God protects you tremendously with his hedge of protection, right? So that's what that is referring to there. It says for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. You know what's interesting is that when we worship God and we're in his tabernacle like we're worshiping him Satan and his goons can't see us we're hidden. I don't know if you're aware of that but we're hidden. They know we're worshiping God and they hate it but we are hidden under the under the beautiful holy cloak of our heavenly father. because that is a hedge of protection that's really good. It says he shall set me up upon a rock. So what I love about that Is God sets us up on high but the devil wants to bring us low to destroy us, right? So just know that if you are ever feeling sad, down or depressed about anything that is not from God, that's from the devil, and you need to cast that care over to God immediately. Don't hold that, don't do not hold on to that depression or that sadness, those thoughts, that negativity it is not worth it because it can literally destroy your body. So we need to be positive. And I'm not saying fake it till you make it because I don't believe in faking anything. I think to fake something is to be a liar. I think you I think how I word this, you know when something is real and when something is not real. So if you're having to fake joy, you know it's not real. So then you're not you're still not really happy because you know you're not really being joyful. So just know that God will always pick you up. Satan always tries to bring you down. So just know that going in You are not destined for the pit, you are destined for the palace. Keep striving for it, right? Verse 6 says, "And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord." That is very beautiful and here's why. It says, "And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies." Meaning We we have the upper hand always. Our enemies don't don't know anything. They're idiots. They're morons. Like we will overcome them, so don't worry. And now shall my head be lifted above my enemies round about me. So your enemies are going to try to encompass you and camp against you. Just know that you're lifted high, not below. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. So even though your enemies and camp against you, they're around you. You can still offer up praise. You can still offer up good and wonderful things to God, and that's technically what we are supposed to do as believers in Christ Jesus. So even though we are concerned, we might be fearful, we might not know exactly what to do. 
When in fact we do know what to do, we give our praise and glory to God. So even when we are suffering, we give God all the glory and we thank him for getting us out of that situation because I would rather praise God as opposed to give the devil any credit for anything because he's an idiot and a jerk. It says I will sing yay, I will sing praises unto the Lord. So even though we may not feel like singing praises, we totally should. So even if you can't sing, that's okay. Ask God to help you to become a wonderful, beautiful professional singer, whatever the case may be. If it makes you intimidate because you know what your voice sounds like, excuse me. But it doesn't matter because God loves you and therefore he loves your voice already. Verse 7 says, "Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me." So here's the thing. King David is saying, "Hear me, O Lord, when I cry with my voice." So whenever we cry, that that is our heart and our soul crying out to God. God hears us. He loves us. He hears that cry and it breaks his heart and believe me, he's like a mama bear when he goes to defend us. It's it's awesome. It says, "Have mercy also upon me and answer me." So he's saying, "Have mercy on me." Basically, I don't know what to do. My enemies are ev- everywhere. Have mercy upon me. Answer me. Let me know what I'm supposed to do. Guess what? God always provides. He always gives an answer. He will always give you a way out, so there's nothing to worry about. Verse 8 says, "When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek." So I love that because even though we might not know what to seek in certain situations, we should always seek the face of thy Lord. Always, always, always because It is when we are seeking Christ that we are level-headed, and that's a wonderful thing, because then you won't be as frustrated or irritated or scared or fearful about things, because when you're level-headed, literally everything else falls into place. It's really wonderful, so you're not worried about stuff. It doesn't mean you deny what's going on. It's just you are above it all, not in a snobby way, but you're literally flying above the storm, and that's where eagles fly. That's where you and I should fly. Verse nine says, "Hide not thy face far from me." Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. I love that. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. I absolutely love this verse. So he's saying, do do not hide from me, Lord. I need to see you. I need to be with you. I need to seek you. Stay with me always. That's what he's saying here. And he he acknowledges how good God is. He says, thou hast been my help. He's saying, you've been my help all this time. I acknowledge that. Continue to help me. I love you. I seek you. It's a wonderful thing. It says, "Neither forsake me, O God of my salvation." So King David here knows that in order to have salvation, he has to have God in his life. He has to have God be first place because he know that if God is not first place, everything is lost. Even if we don't realize it immediately, everything will be lost if we do not put God first. And even King David realized that. And King David was a man after God's own heart, and that is truly a great example for you and I. Verse 10 says, "When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up." I love this verse because here's the thing: sometimes it's the people closest to us that let us down, whether it's our family, our friends, our employers, whatever the case may be, or maybe a trusted mentor, a business partner. Here's the thing: it doesn't matter what happens with those relationships because God will always take up your case and defend you and protect you. Always, always, always. So even though it it's those familiar relationships that tend to shatter the greatest, you know what I mean? Like sometimes 
whenever we know someone really well, it's because we know them so well that it makes it hurtful that whenever they say or do things that are really hurtful and it tends to have a greater sting than someone we don't even know because we don't really care that much about strangers like when they do stuff to us. It's not the same. I mean, we do care, but the pain is different. I mean, I think I know I'm trying to think how to word this. Um Oh, okay. So, let's say for example, you are in a parking lot and someone you don't know rear-ends you. It's a stranger and it's like, "Okay, yes, I'm irritated, I'm possibly mad, but hey, you know, these things happen." So, you exchange car insurance and, you know, your car gets fixed and, you know, they say, "Hey, it was my fault." And so, you know, they they pay for it. But let's say for example, you have a relative that breaks into your house steals your car keys, steals your car and then acts like they don't know where it is and they totaled it. And they're dishonest about it. Well, that's going to hurt a whole lot more than someone that you don't even know giving you a fender bender in a parking lot. I mean, do you see what I mean? Like there there's a difference in the pain and the severity. It's almost like sometimes we put people on a pedestal when it comes to family and friends and we should never do that because no one belongs on a pedestal like that. Only our heavenly father belongs in a pedestal. So we need to acknowledge that sometimes we we pander to people and then we get our feelings hurt when we realize they're just as flawed as we are. Maybe in different ways, maybe in different severities, whatever the case may be, but it's better to meet people at the level that they are at and to love them for who they are and who God made them to be because if if we're only loving them for what we want, that's very selfish and you will always be Um, I was going to say I'm grateful, but you will always be frustrated in your relationships because you will never acknowledge who or how God made someone to be, and who He made them to be. So I hope that relieves your, your stress there because it greatly helped me when I woke up to that. It kind of lets people off the emotional hook, you know what I mean? So then you're not getting emotionally dragged around, you know, like a sack of flour behind a cart. Nobody wants to feel like that. It's horrible, right? Verse 11 says, "Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies." I love this as well because it says, "Teach me my teach me thy way, O Lord." Basically, we need to follow the Lord's way, not our own way. I could speak from example on this. I mean, I could speak from experience on this that it's very tempting to think, "Oh, I got this figured out. I got it. I can handle it." I always take things up with Jesus because there may be unknown factors that I don't know about, but he knows about it. and he's going to help me and guard me and protect me goes on to say and lead me in a plain path you know what i love about this it kind of reminds me of the great gatsby i hated that book i absolutely hated it but what i found interesting was that you know sometimes it's not always what you think it is behind the glimmering lights in the crystal you know what i mean like sometimes we see the glamour and we think oh this is the best path this is going to be for me and then we get on that path and we realize hey this isn't really what i thought it was going to be it's really not You know, these people aren't the people I thought they would be. They're not really for me. They're against me. They're fake. They're fickle. They're just here for my money. And when the money runs out, they're out. That's what it's like sometimes in life. That doesn't mean you can't have a mansion. That doesn't mean you can't have antiques. I think everyone should have a mansion because when we die and pass away and we go to heaven, we will live in mansions. We will not be living in trailer parks. So we do have the option to be wealthy, to be super wealthy on this earth as it is in heaven. and we have the option to live in mansions that have beautiful wonderful things but here's the thing if we're not if we're not careful about what we cling to 
then it can be very disappointing. It, it can be like, you know, it kind of reminds me of when you have really rich, wealthy people or very successful people in the entertainment industry that commit suicide. It's like, why would they commit suicide when it seemed like they had everything? Well, the reason why is because they didn't have everything. And no one ever really does have everything, but the people that commit suicide, that it looks like they have everything, all, the reason why they committed suicide was because they were focusing on everything that they don't have, as opposed to being grateful and feeling blessed for what God gave them. I would say that whenever people are considering suicide, they are totally forgetting that God loves them and he doesn't want them to do that. And he wants them to live life, not end life. You know what I mean? So that's what I love about this verse when it says, and lead me in a plain path. I love that part of the verse because I've noticed that whenever God guides me somewhere, it's never complicated. Yes, he guides me to, you know, a ball or a really beautiful dinner or sometimes, you know, it could just be like the country fair or whatever the case may be. It doesn't matter whether it's a common place or an elegant place or a ritzy place. All I know is that when God's guiding me, it's, it's simple and I feel comfortable. Like the, the path is plain in terms of what's going on in the inside of me. But whenever it, it's complicated and weird and nothing makes sense, that's definitely from the devil. That's how you know he's messing things up and trying to harm you and discomfort you. So just know that... It's better to stay on the plain path. And I'm not saying that you can't have nice things, not at all. I mean, if we look at the temple of King Solomon, it was not simple. It was so beautiful and gorgeous that people from all over the world came to see it. So God is not against opulence or, or beauty. He loves that. And he gives us those things, emeralds, diamonds, pearls, gold, silver, bronze, whatever the case may be. Those are all beautiful things that he gives us as a gift. What I'm talking about is that And what this is talking about, actually, is the Lord is very simple in what he wants. And he keeps it simple so that way we're not distracted and taken off the right path. So then it says, verse 12, deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe out cruelty. This one really got my attention because the Lord will never deliver you to your enemies. It may feel like it. The pressure may be a little high. The heat may get a little hot. But just know that God never delivers you to bad people. He will always deliver you out of that. A good example of that is Meshach. Was it Meshach? can't think of the three teenagers' names, but Abednego. I forget the middle one's name. They were thrown into a fiery furnace by a king. And they refused to worship him or worship his gods. And they said, even if we die, we know that God will take care of us. And we will not worship you or your gods because that's idolatry. That's paganism. We, we don't do that. We only worship the one true God. Well, guess what the Lord did? He saved them from that fiery pit, from that, that fiery furnace. And the Lord was with them in the furnace because when the king went down there to look inside the furnace to see, hey, are they dead yet or what's going on with them? He not only saw the three teenagers, but he saw a fourth man there. And he knew that it was, it was the Lord because he had the face of God, the almighty God. And the king knew, he knew who the real God was in that moment. See, that's how good our God is. Like even though someone may try to put a lot of pressure on us, put a lot of heat on us, don't worry about it. God's right there with you in the furnace and he will get you out of it. And guess what? None of their clothes were singed. 
then their skin wasn't singed, their hair wasn't singed, they didn't smell like smoke, they didn't have soot on them, nothing. It's like they walked into a dealer's and then just walked right back out. Like it was just a nothing. This furnace was a nothing. That's how how good our heavenly father is. That's how he guards and protects us. And that's such a wonderful thing. And it says here for false witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe out cruelty. Just know that the devil is a liar and he will find people and situations to rise up against you and speak lies against you. It is horrible and just know that when someone is doing any kind of thing against you, it is a form of cruelty. Because any kind of wrongdoing is evil. And just know it is a form of cruelty. Are there different degrees of it? Yes. But you really learn a lot about people when they really do something bad towards you. You know what I mean? Like it's not always just a little white lie. Because here's what I here's what I've learned over the years is that when someone's willing to say a white lie, what else are they willing to lie about? Cuz a whole bunch of white lies add up to one big lie. And we know that lies are wrong and they lead to death and destruction one way or another. Whether it's, you know, you know, you losing your life because you know, you you allowed fear and dread and anger and all these horrible things into your life and it's very stressful on your heart and your capillaries and your arteries and you know things like that or maybe, you know, you just didn't want to take the advice of your doctor. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not against doctors. I think sometimes they are wrong, but a lot of times they are correct. You know, let's say for example, you are diabetic and you're 300 pounds. Guess what? If you lost 150 pounds, you probably wouldn't be diabetic anymore. So if your doctor is telling you to lose weight, they mean it. They love you. They're trying to help you. I I you know, I will tell you straight up, some doctors are mean and I don't like them. I go to different doctors if I don't like who I'm seeing. But I will say this. You know, If someone's trying to keep you alive and they're telling you straight up what the facts are, you need to acknowledge those facts but also pray about it because here's the thing, I look at it this way, if I was 300 pounds and I was diabetic, I would be very I was going to say ashamed. I would be very disappointed in myself for letting myself go that bad. But what I also know is that there is no shame and condemnation in Christ Jesus and he only wants what is best for me. So I would start by substituting one meal a day with a bunch of fruit. That's a great way to start losing weight immediately. And here's the thing, if you are extremely overweight, you are in the easiest place to lose weight, and here's why. The more overweight you are, the quicker you drop weight. Like for example, you know, if you weigh 140 and your ideal weight is supposed to be 135, it's going to take you a while to get to your ideal weight because you're not starting out way overweight. So if you are extremely overweight, your body is waiting for you to say go, burn up these calories. But also, if you're like 300 pounds, you need to limit your meals to 3 meals a day, possibly 5. Usually what I do is I do 3 meals a day and maybe 2 snacks. You know, just to kind of spread it out so that way I don't feel like I'm starving. To limit overeating and I'm not an overeater, but I just like to make sure that I have energy throughout the day. So What I would do is I would limit my meals to 3 meals a day and then I would limit those meals to only one plate full and even then I would half that plate and just only eat half of what's on the plate. Limit your calories because you know the greater the obstacle, the greater the challenge, but also the greater the reward. Like just think about the accomplishment you'll have. Oh, another thing, if you are losing a lot of weight, whether it's because you're extremely overweight or maybe 
you know, you had a really rough pregnancy and you put on too much weight, whatever the case may be, you need to lather up your skin because your skin has been extremely stretched out, right? So, some of my favorite lotions are, well, first of all, Vaseline is great because it greatly moisturizes the skin and it really helps to prevent stretch marks and it helps your skin to reabsorb that skin, right? Also, indoor tanning lotions are really good at moisturizing. Like even though you may or may not go tanning, it's the tanning lotions that cost like 80 to 100 dollars a bottle. Yes, it's expensive, but totally worth it. It very much nourishes and repairs your skin. So if you are overweight, you not only do you have excess fat, you have excess skin to deal with. So basically, well, you know, when you're losing weight, you want you want it to be so that your skin goes back to what it's supposed to look like. And you want it to be super healthy skin. And here's another thing, if you lose a lot of weight and you've got a bunch of skin that didn't go back to its proper spot, guess what? You can donate that skin. I think it has to be either 1 pound or 5 pounds worth of skin that they just cut off. A plastic surgeon does this, of course. And they donate that skin to burn victims. So you can actually be doing a lot with your life and helping save someone's life by donating your skin if you have all this extra skin from losing weight. I did not know that until um one of my past friends told me about it that she was going to donate her skin cuz she's getting a tummy tuck done. And so um she was just right below the minimum requirement to donate your skin. So, I mean, if you have a lot of excess skin, I say donate it. I think that would be an amazing thing to do. But anyway, so verse 13 says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I love this because you know, think about all that King David went through, right? He had King Saul, uh, you know, King Saul tried to kill him multiple times because King Saul was jealous of David because he knew David was going to be king. and that Saul had lost um i guess his mantle or favor with God because of what he did he disobeyed God and God's like well if you're going to disobey me I'm going to find somebody else to lead my people and so that's why the favor of God and the blessing of God left King Saul and was placed on David and also David had to deal with armies he had to deal with mean people he had to deal with disobedient children like to the extreme i mean it was really bad And so just think about it. he says I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So he's saying that if I had not believed in the goodness of God, I would have fainted. But because I do believe and I did believe in the goodness of God, I did not faint. He gave me strength to get through. And here's why because it says unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We're not called to the land of the dead. Not a single one of us. All of us are called to the land of the living, and the reason why is because our covenant with God promises us promises us life and true life, and that's the goodness of God. Like God does not seek death for us. That's Satan. That's the devil. He steals, kills, and destroys. That's the three things he does. That's his hobby, and that's his occupation. He does nothing else but does those things. So just know. that if something is coming against you whether it's trying to take your life whether it's a disease or a person maybe threatening you just know that's coming straight out of the depths of hell and you need to believe in God you need to ask God to deliver you from that because you just need to think I want 
I want to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and just know that you have that right to have that. You you do because when you are a believer in Christ Jesus, Jesus comes to dwell in you and then you and I, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, we are the tabernacles of the Lord. And you and I are very beautiful tabernacles. That's why that's why Satan hates us. He can't stand the fact that Jesus took the keys of death away from him and said, "Booyah, I'm out of here. You're you're a loser. You're lost. You have been defeated." So you got nothing on me, and you got nothing on my people. So just look at it this way. The devil has nothing on us. Absolutely nothing. Call him out on it. That's what Jesus did. He always say, "Get behind me, Satan." Or he would say, "For it is written," and then he would quote something from the Bible. That's why it's so good to read God's holy word because then you know this is the truth. The truth, the truth sets us free. Because God likes to free us, whereas the devil loves to ensnare us. So don't allow yourself to become ensnared to anything. It's not worth it. So then the final verse, verse fourteen, says, "Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage." And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I love this, and I'm going to stand up because I've been sitting for like 40 minutes. So, what this is talking about is, let me stand up here. Okay, so it says, wait on the Lord. Basically, be patient. Live in peace. Know that God is good. He's taking care of everything for you. You got nothing to worry about, right? So it says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. So that means. Be courageous. Be confident. Don't be fearful. Don't be scared. And if you are scared, if you are scared or fearful, you push through that by just saying, "Be of good courage. I have courage. I'm confident. I can handle this. I can do anything in Christ Jesus. Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world." Goes on to say, "And He shall strengthen thine heart." You know what's interesting is that your body can be as weak as a very sickly child or a pet. But when you have the faith and the strength of the Lord, and He strengthens your heart, there's just something about that inner strength that pushes you through that. And I'll give you an example. There's this one show that my mom watches that I can't always stand, but talks about real life situations where people endured something really traumatic, or、um, they got out of a life and death situation. And like for example, there's this one young woman. She was not very smart, unfortunately. She would go running by herself with her dog in this canyon, and I was like, "Okay, I can see where this is going. Not very smart. You always go with a partner, just in case something happens." And something did happen. She slipped and fell. She fell down this canyon, broke her leg, and she had to drag herself. And she, you know, she dragged herself as far as she could. But you know, even though she was weak and she was hurting, she had that inner strength in her heart to survive. And her dog. I don't know how this dog knew to do this, but dogs are really smart. Her dog went and got somebody. I mean, was gone for hours, probably a day or something. Went and got somebody and brought them to her. But see, here's the thing: she didn't give up. She didn't just she didn't just lay there and die. You know what I mean? Like she had that inner strength. Well, that's what it's like to have inner strength in the Lord when He strengthens your heart. It doesn't matter what pain you're going through, what ailment you have. You know what disease is going on? When you have the strength of the Lord in your heart, you will get through it, because a lot of the battle is in your mind. Because it, it is so true, the mind is the battlefield. Because our mind is very powerful, so use it as a weapon. Use it as your ally as well. It's it's very tremendous power in your mind. 
So it says, wait on the Lord, so be patient, be still, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So notice he says, wait on the Lord. He says it twice, right? So that tells me it's super importante that we wait on the Lord and not get impatient and go, why, Lord, why, when, Lord, when? Well, you know, it's kind of a waste of time and a waste of breath, excuse me, to continue to ask the same question, right? Like it doesn't make sense. So instead of asking why or when, just say, thank you, Lord. I thank you that it's coming to pass. It's on the way. I don't have anything to worry about. And you know what I do? I watch something positive. Because I know that there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes and I don't have to worry about anything. So that just means that my day just got a whole lot brighter. That's how we need to look at it when we are believers in Christ Jesus. We're always looking ahead, never behind. But anyway, I will go ahead and end this podcast. I pray that this helps you. I thought that that was an amazing psalm and I thought that I would go through it just because I know how easy it is to misinterpret things when we're taught wrong. Even if someone didn't mean to teach us wrong, we still need to know the truth and do the best we can to believe in the goodness of God and just take baby steps. You know, believing in the goodness of God, it isn't always easy because sometimes we get so focused on our personal problems, our personal issues that we just think, man, what has happened to my life? What has happened to my future? What, you know, if all we're thinking about is what happened in the past, then we're never pushing forward and we're never giving God a chance to change our future and we're never giving God a chance to embrace us the way that we are supposed to be embraced. I also think that sometimes we don't give God a chance to help us or to embrace us because we're scared he's going to throw us away like a piece of trash. Well, that may be what the devil does and that may be what some bad people do, but that is never what God does. God always defends. He always loves us. He always protects us. Like there have been situations I thought I was not expecting some bad things to happen. I actually wasn't expecting any bad things to happen <laughs> to be blunt. But what I love about my faith in Christ Jesus is that when when unplanned or funky things happen that I'm not expecting whatsoever, I don't get as a as as upset if upset at all because I know that God's taking care of it and I know that well, you know, I I will do everything that I can that I'm supposed to do to be a good moral ethical, you know, good person, be a good Christian. And you know God God does expect us to do our part but we also have to go beyond our part and trust God and and give him a chance to defend us to protect us and to handle the situation because I know what it's like to trying to and try and control every little thing because that's kind of how we're taught in the United States it's like we're supposed to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps and I tell you what that only goes so far really because if if all you're ever doing is picking yourself up by your own bootstraps You're never giving God a chance to to take that burden away from you and help you stand upright and have confidence and clarity in your life and in your future. Because God only wants the best things for you, only the best. So just go for the best. But until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.